Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. This is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides along the journey to RPG adventures. Role-playing inspiration can come from anywhere, and we use our side quest to explore TV shows, movies, books, and other RPGs that influence our playstyle and storytelling. Whether we draw from intriguing plot points, amazing characters, or, well, you know, just kind of geek out about it, it should be a fun trip, and we're glad you came along for the ride. from today's sponsor. Hey everybody, Mr. Dave here. I want to tell you all about... Oh, Mr. Dave! Mr. Dave! Hey Arnold, what can I do for you? I was just about to tell everybody all about the show. That's why I'm here. I thought of a wonderful way to do the commercial. Oh yeah? What's that? In song. It's educational. It's sensational. It's our puppet invitational. To join us each week for some fun. Sit back and relax. Grab some popcorn, some snacks, and get ready for the show. Sing along and get to know the sensation across the nation. It's a music-filled vacation. All your senses will be whirring and your brain cells will be stirring. It's the show you want to say. It's fun time with Mr. Dave. That was a great idea, Arnold. You can find Fun Time with Mr. Dave on Facebook and Instagram at Dave the Entertainer and on YouTube by searching Mr. Dave with an exclamation mark. See you next time. Welcome everybody to today's side quest. Today we are going to be talking about a brand new show that is on the CW that we are enjoying quite a bit. I'm going to speak for the other two and say that we're enjoying this show quite a bit uh, after its first episode. And this is the launch of Superman and Lois. Uh, the first episode came out just a couple of days ago, but we wanted to make sure and get uh, this episode recorded um, to go ahead and, and talk about it. And this is your one and only warning. This side quest will contain spoilers. Lots of There's spoilers. Spoiler alert! Exactly. Understand that it's going to be time. It's going to have spoilers because it was so stinking good. Glenn, why don't you start for us today? Uh, start the discussion. What was? What were your thoughts? I really enjoyed it. I'm going to say that up front. I did thoroughly enjoy it. By the time I was done. I don't think that I have quite the glowing review that y'all did for some of the things, but I understand why they had to be the way they were. So I'm good with it. Um, so kind of what I mean is they made it a two hour premiere, but they still covered a lot. There's a lot of material in there. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So sometimes to me, the plot lines felt too tropishly predictable, but it was mm -hmm. because they, I honestly, I don't think they could have done it better though. I don't, I'm not faulting them for that, for the amount of stuff they crammed into it. I don't think they had time to properly like take foreshadow and ease you in to each connection that they were making to establish the starting point of the show because a significant amount of time has passed since we last saw this version of Superman and Lois at the end of Crisis on Infinite Earths with the Arrowverse show. And I got to say, I really liked them then too. So I knew I was going to enjoy it from that 
but a significant time jump has happened. We're further into the future. They have kids, which is awesome. I think that's going to create some of the possible, possibly the best Superman TV we've ever seen, I think could come out of this show after they went through all of this to put it together. But again, the opening episode, cause they had to cram so much into it. It really just sometimes felt almost a little forced, but from here you get to see the human side of the man of steel. Like I don't think we've ever truly seen him before as a family man who's struggling with real world day-to-day problems. And I think that is what's truly going to make the show awesome. Plus exploring, you know, what happens with the boys and as they grow and um, who's going to develop what abilities, etc. But uh, I don't want to take all of the cool spoiler opportunities. Yep. So we'll call that my intro and let one of y'all jump in. Yeah. No, I, 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 uh, uh, Lee, I'm going to kick it to you for just a second, but I just wanted to say that uh, pretty much everything that you said there, Glenn, I agree with. I think that while I really enjoyed the first episode, I feel like, man, did they, the freight train of plot was driving through this episode and it was not going to stop. It was just going to keep going. Buckle in because we're going to handle, you know, this first season might handle eight different plot points and we're going to touch all eight in this first episode and make sure that you know what's coming. So, Lee Winiko, why don't you go ahead? Without a doubt, as I sit here recording this episode in one of my many, many Superman t-shirts, I am probably one of the greatest Superman fans any of y'all have ever met, known, or will listen to on podcast. That's my that's given. True. Yeah, that's true. That is my given. And I want to take what has been said before I started speaking and say, I triple dog, dog, dog triple dog, dog, triple down on that. Like, absolutely. Everything that was said before me, I'm all on. Like, I shouldn't even have to say it again. It was that accurate. So I, I want to get that out of the way. Glenn, Josh, great job. That's, I mean, literally took lifted notes from the notepad in my head that I never put down on paper or computer screen. All right. That's a wrap. Thank you guys. Uh, yeah, Appreciate thanks, it. thanks for playing. Show over. Um, <laughs> Remember, you can always connect with us on Twitter at, at TT. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hashtag call your boys. But in, in all seriousness, I want to talk about, how much I love this character and what this character and this show now means in my life. I, uh, years ago when Smallville first started, I was not in high school, but what I related to in that show was that feeling of being the geek in high school that had promise that knew where he wanted to go in life, had a few close friends, but never quite fit in. That is what Smallville was about, especially during those early seasons. And then in the later seasons, it was about, jumping into the world and what it means to be that younger person out in the world, trying to fulfill your promise, still trying to hang on to those older friendships, but knowing that some of them have changed and moved away. That's what Smallville was. And I was living that life while that show was on. And that's why it was such an important show. Glenn and I and Josh even lived as roommates together in Maine through part of the time that Smallville was on, I used to have Smallville parties at the house where everybody would come over and we'd sit and watch this show because we all felt this show. Deep to our core, we felt this show. 20 years later, 10 years since Smallville ended, we now have a show that the three of us as parents, as older adult men, about maybe a little bit older than Superman is supposed to be in the show, once again, they found a way 
to make a show about the lives we lead. Yeah. You know, I don't have superpowers, but I have kids. I don't have superpowers, but in my life, I have experienced issues with kids that have special mental and behavioral health needs. And I have felt that strong. I think uh, Superman said, he goes, I just feel like I'm failing every time I try to be a father to these boys. Yeah. Yep. I don't have superpowers, but I live that fear every day. And to hear the man of steel, the guy whose shield I am wearing on my chest in this moment, say those words validates everything for me as a parent, everything for me as a dad. And that's powerful. You don't get television that does that often. And you certainly don't get it in that amazing package that we saw it in on this show. So, wow. Just wow. Totally agree. I think you you really nailed what this show is trying to go after, right? It's, it is trying to make the Superman the everyman. And the, the way that the first episode did it and the way that it laid it out was both, uh, um, it, it, was, it was very approachable, again, for somebody that doesn't actually have superpowers, but still, since, since my son was young, uh, everybody has said that, you know, milestones that he had, he hit throughout life and, and challenges that, that he's had mimicked almost age to age milestones that I hit and challenges that I had and everything like that. And so, and so it, it, it gave me a perspective and kind of, um, you know, how he was growing up and everything like that. And, and thankfully the way that we've grown up has been, has been, has been different. Um, and so that's, that's really a, a great thing, but the, the way that they were able to humanize Kal-El was not was was just so magnificently well done um so let's start talking about so we, we talked about kind of how the the freight train of plot points uh was driving through this episode let's talk about some of the these individual plot points and i think you know since we're on the topic of fatherhood uh let's start first with jonathan and jordan and that whole dynamic about the the question of will they won't they right will they develop powers and won't they develop powers um lately Wanika, what is the the comic book provenance of that storyline. Where does that come from in the books and how does it, how does it match up? So this is interesting. I believe in books slightly newer than I have was, have been collecting is where the idea of Superman having two sons has come up. So I think that is, there is some comic book canon for that. It is not comic book canon that I'm familiar with. I am much more familiar with the pre Arrowverse crisis on infinite earths where he was having one child. That's what I was most familiar with. So to me, that's the other wonderful thing about this is I have nothing to judge this on other than what I see, right? It is new territory for me. So I will invite anybody out there who knows of canon with Jonathan and Jordan to talk to us about that. It may, in fact, and I guess I should have done some research to find out be mostly new or created for this show, but I believe I've seen something about it. But I can say beyond the names, which are Pretty obvious Jordan comes from jor At least that's where I think it comes from. The canon, as far as them having powers, has been non-powered to all the exact same powers, hitting all the same milestones to being more powered than Superman. So they have this huge area of storytelling that they can work with that is largely untapped. So I think we're going to get su- surprises. I think whatever has been written, we may not see it exactly like that. And that's what I really like about this and that fast forward is we're going to see some things that we may not have a good lead into. But as far as the relationship to the parents, that's really unusual. 
anything I've seen that had Superman having kids, it was always they had a great relationship. They were always getting along really well. I this is all new to me, and I don't. Again, I stopped collecting around two thousand. Maybe 2003 was the last time I was really buying comics on a regular basis. So any comic book canon after that, I don't know about specifically. If they're going with that new stuff, then there might be information out there. But prior to, this is all new and brilliant. Interesting. I was just saying that I, I agreed 100%. I can't think of anything specific canon out there. Um, and I did do a little bit of looking. But honestly, I was relying on my friend who used to own the comic book store to have this this part nailed. My bad. But that's okay. We should bring I don't think it, it would definitely have to be from newer stuff, just looking at the plot points that they're doing with the kids. And I got to say, I'm excited about that part, but a little bit trepidatious um, just because of the way they kind of have already set up the tropes of the light twin and the dark twin. And they both set up and defeated that same trope in the same episode a few times. But I'm a little bit concerned with how they run that, especially with the advent recently of the Dark Child version of Superman. What if Superman grew up evil and stuff like that? And that could be really fun to explore, but I'm not sure that that's, that's what I want out of this show. So I'm hoping they don't go in that direction. But I know you got to have some teen angst, angst come into trying to learn to deal with these powers. And I do like that they made one of the children basically an indigo child, somebody who really struggles with stress and anxiety and you know not completely fitting in. Um, because I've parented that through <laughs> a few children at this point. Um, and I can feel that to the bottom of my soul. And I think watching the, the Man of Steel be just as powerless as the rest of us when you're facing the issue of how do I help my kid when he just hurts so bad? You yeah. know, and I think that's going to be an amazing side of the story that I'm really looking forward to since we're on the family topic. And I, I thought that the way that they set up the parallelism between between Superman and Lana and then Jordan and Lana's daughter, um, I thought was uh, was really, 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 really interesting. And yeah, it was a little tropey and it was a little predictable. And, and we, we have to we have to accept that conceit. I just thought that it was really interesting that, you know, here you've got, you know, again, you talked about the about the, the light child and the dark child and how, you know, you've got like the all-American, blonde-haired, blue-eyed football quarterback captain who who isn't the one that develops powers. Like that's, he's not the one that is, for lack of a better term, special. See, I disagree on that, but we'll cover it. We can get to that. In a so, okay. So what, so are you saying that we don't know if he has developed powers yet or just that? Okay. I think that the one shot in the opening when he's growing up as a kid, when he throws the football. Yes. Literally takes on the zoom effect from when Superman used to do that. And it parted the rope holding a tractor tire. That was showing that he has power. It's developing differently. They will both, uh, mark my words, they will both have powers. And that's that's the only reason that, you know, I, I disagreed is because I know the other guy's got some. They have sure. already shown it to us in Jonathan, too. Well, right. And 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 uh, and correct me if I'm if I'm wrong, comic book people, but Superboy's name was John. So, right. Wasn't wasn't it John Kent? That was Superboy. Oh, if you're talking about the character Superboy, you came after yeah. that, that that's uh, Connor. Uh, it was Con L C O N dash E L. Yeah. Uh, and then he took on the name Connor Kent when he Got it. lived with the Kents for okay. a while. I, I think Glenn is right. I think in the end, Jonathan is going to end up with powers. I am hoping that they delay that as long as humanly possible because the let the dark child death, shine for a little bit first. Yeah. Yeah. But part of me was thinking, how cool is it that you have all these aspects that are Superman, right? And how cool is it that the one who doesn't have the powers isn't invulnerable? He's the one that ran and jumped to his brother's defense. 
instantly without yeah. question, without hesitation. Yep. That was sure death. And even in the fight scene by the gravel pit or whatever, that was you do whatever you want. That's my brother. Done. Done. It wasn't even a question. Yep. He didn't hesitate. He just jumped right in. And I think, and the, this is me being that Nightwing fan, that the normal guy without the superpowers who consistently jumps in and does the heroic thing in, man, in many ways is more heroic than anybody else all the time. And I, and I think that that would be an amazing arc if he ends up not being powers, but still in, ends up being a hero costumed in everything fighting alongside his brother. I think that would be badass. I think that would be badass. Honestly, you could still call it powers, even if he never develops the truly superhuman physical powers yep. to inherit Kal-El's heroism, his yep. spirit, his need his to intervene, his selflessness would be a power in and of itself. Absolutely. But I think he will gain some form of flashier Kryptonian powers Maybe it's just healing. Maybe it's just whatever. But it's hard to say where it's going to end up being. I'm looking to see that. I'm looking forward to that development. But I hope they stall it. I think if both of them are getting powers at the same time, it'll be hard to get a really good focus because I like both characters a yep, lot. That's very fair. But I really yeah. do want time for each of them to develop on screen, separate episodes, whatever the case may be. And when you just said stall it, that actually put into words better my fear when I said trepidation earlier that I'm like kind of worried about the way that they could go with some of this. And it's just that I get why they had to do what they did to get so much into the episode. I'm just praying that they pump the brakes yeah. and now develop those slowly. Yep. Give us some time to ease into the story, you know, give each one the attention it deserves. Yep. Television today has a serious problem. And anybody listening to me, please understand this is the serious problem, especially with genre television. We are moving into an era of shorter episodes. Josh and I, we spoke about this during the Discovery, Discovery uh, episode yeah. also. Shorter episodes mean a lot of time off screen happens and we don't see that development. So we and we as viewers view that as plot holes. We view that as challenges to believing the story. I need shows to have larger. I'm not necessarily 24 episodes, but give us 15, give us 16 episodes. Especially us, if you're shortening the length. You can't go with eight. Right. Give us the extra episodes of that character development so that it makes more sense, so that we have the ability to be more invested. Eight episodes, it's very tough to be truly invested in every character, what's happening. You have to shorten the amount of characters you deal with when you deal with the less episodes you have. And I love this cast. I love every element of it. You're talking about plot things that they were dealing with. There was a conceit to this show. The conceit was everybody knows the Superman story and everybody knows most of his cast. Throw away lines like Lombard. Everybody must know who Steve Lombard is. It's just a throwaway. They expect you to know or you will go watch whatever movies in the past to figure it out. They're not explaining it in the episode. Yep. There's all kinds of things like that that, that were happening throughout this episode. The issues with the general, you know, General Lane is Lois's father and he has been a mainstay in Superman comics since John Byrne did the main man of steel episode, um, miniseries in 1986. So, and he has been a, a major issue. There's actually some challenges. In I love you. Lane. <laughs> the feeling is very mutual. Glenn. challenge between Clark and his father-in-law uh, has been very evident at various times and in various iterations. I like where this is showing us, 
because it's not showing us where it started and it's certainly not showing us where it's going to yep. end. In that, those little snapshot scenes, they gave me a lot of information on where this could be going or that there's definitely stuff happening yep. there. There's a lot of back and forth and they humanize Sam Lane because after the moment of him being the general, he was still, let's take the kids fishing. And he was doing that military man role of not understanding challenges with mental and behavioral health issues. Yep. That was so perfectly depicted that uh, I, I like, I stood up and applauded and I'm in my bedroom at the time watching <laughs> this by myself. I mean, I thought it was that yep. well done. And I'm, I'm going to shout out a little bit here to uh, brilliant casting on the part of Samuel Lane to Dylan Walsh. Dylan Walsh is one of my favorite actors. Um, I remember him way back uh, from Nip Tuck, which uh, if you want to talk about yep. a series that is just totally freaking crazy train, Nip Tuck is fabulous. <laughs> it was absolutely nuts. Um, uh, but Dylan Walsh, that's where I remember Dylan Walsh from. A uh, fabulous actor. A really Seems like a really fun actor to work with. And so I, I this is not a role that I um, that I naturally see him in, but I think that he did a really, really nice job with it. Um, I mean, he's following actors who've played General Lane, Lane uh, like uh, Michael Ironsides. Michael Ironsides is a character actor from the 70s. And when he does a role, it's like, I know exactly what I'm getting. And in my mind, he was a very good, a solid, if not a perfect General Lane. What I found was interesting is I believe this guy better than I did Michael Ironside. And that's not to say one is a better actor than the other, but I think this was superlative casting, like surprisingly superlative casting. I would have never put him on a, on a, on a long list for this role, but wow, did he knock my socks off and what in maybe five, five minutes, minutes maybe, screen yeah, time, if yeah. that. So I'm going to go ahead and jump from uh, the plot point that we all really, really liked with the interaction between uh, with Superman and his and his children and his family and go to a plot that I did not like. And, and I'm going to toss this out there to you guys. Again, I'm not a comic book guy. I've never been a comic book guy. Uh, that has never been my thing. And so, you know, Lou to your statement about how they're not going to explain certain aspects of this, they're just going to expect you to know, that definitely puts me at, I mean, I don't want to say a disadvantage, but I mean, it. it this is not a show necessarily for, that, that, that someone who does not follow comic books is going to pick up on all the little plot intricacies, right? Yeah, that'll That's be just, bad storytelling that, if they don't help. Exactly, you. right. And so, so my question is more, when... And I'm trying to even think of how to go ahead and phrase this question without without uh, uh, totally giving you guys a, a way to to just screw me on the side here. But Lex Luthor as the bad guy of the episode just feels so tired. It's always Lex Luthor. It's just always. It's always Lex Luthor. It's just always, always, always. You know, and similar in the way that we talk about how like how tired it is that 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 all these classes in Dungeons and Dragons are always just getting dark vision so that dark vision's not special anymore. Every single time there's a bad guy and it's Superman, it's Lex Luthor. And so I guess the question that I really want you guys to answer is, was there an alternative? Was there another bad guy that they could have used that would have made anywhere near any degree of sense? Um, or is Lex Luthor really just the guy and that's and and me as 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 
you know, non-comic book guy trying to go ahead and, and watch a Superman show, I just need to realize that Lex Luthor is always going to be the bad guy and and uh, stop bitching about it. Needing to be him to be the uh, teaser villain and the pilot episode, definitely not. There's far more that you can reach into for Superman or even just create new to have villains for him to to fight. I mean, really anything, since I'm pretty sure that the main overarching story is going to be the family life, any villain at the top could do just to put him in that point of having to choose between I need to be there for my family, but the world's in jeopardy. That's going to be the plot line. So anyone could have served that purpose. I think Lex happened, and I'm not a, I'm going to be honest, I'm not a giant fan of it either. I think Lex happened because we were just came off of a very successful show with a new character playing Lex Luthor who had done an amazing job and really hyped up that villain into uh, the younger crowd. That's not the diehard old Superman fans like us. So it was a way to help establish that connection to the story for them, as opposed to for us older fans. So this is the part of the podcast where I disagree with both of my uh, co-hosts vehemently. But I'm going to disagree with you in a way that you probably don't expect. First of all, this character that you saw in Superman and Lois was not Lex Luthor. That's what I was thinking was the case, possibly, but I didn't know enough. I actually Educate me. I have enough non-official info to feel 99.899% confident this is not Lex Luthor. Interesting. So even though he was called Captain Luther at the end, it's not Lex? Correct. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. But so, it gives us the ability to think it might be Lex and throw us for a little right. mind loops. So I think there's a bit of meta in the way they referred to him that they could have not actually just not done and we would have not just, who the hell is this guy? But I thought it was a nice teaser to say, what do you think is coming up? But I, it is absolutely not the, the character we know of as Lex. Who exactly he is and what exactly he is, we do not know. And I do not have any information I feel confident enough to say definitively. My hope is this character ends up being a clone or alternate universe or perhaps future descendant come back. That's kind of where where I think this character comes from. Again, not entirely sure. But the My Planet Was Destroyed 2 thing. Like all of that to me also seriously smacked of because we just came out of Crisis of Infinite Earths where all other Earths were destroyed. So in theory, there was only one Lex left and that Lex is on Supergirl being a good guy. Yes. Unless this Lex diabolically found a way to survive the crisis. And because he's Lex Luthor, he can't blame anybody but Superman. So thus his planet was destroyed and he's coming back for him. He's like, F you guys, you guys destroyed my whole universe. That could be a couple things that I know of that are that are helping me with my meta decisions about this show. Supergirl ends at the end of this season. This is the final season for Supergirl. Mm-hmm. Some of those characters are going to go other places in the CW universe. Because of that, my understanding is John Cryer is not done with his role as Lex Luthor. So there's every possibility we may get John Cryer playing uh, his character even older than he currently plays Lex Luthor in this Interesting. Because I actually thought the scenes between Tyler Hoechlin and John Cryer were amazing. I think that could be really cool, too. But that doesn't eliminate the possibility of old universe survivor. There could be two Lexes. So I think there's that going on with this. The other part where I would disagree with you is I don't think it always has to be Lex. But I think Lex is a great 
foil for Superman. And he ends up being one of the best because unfortunately in Superman's rogues gallery, unlike Batman's, which has three or four of every type of villain you can have, right? Superman's villains really fall to Lex, Batman villain crossovers, and a bunch of monsters or big, powerful, tough guys that Superman has to beat. His rogues gallery is much tighter than, and that's not to say he doesn't have a good one. He does have a pretty good one, right? But on the level of causing serious consternation for a season-long epic, especially if we're going 15 episodes or more, it's got to be a mastermind plot. It's got to be somebody who's outthinking it. You can't outfight the guy. You can't outstrength the guy. You can't outrun the guy. You have to be able to outthink him. And unfortunately, in that regard, you only have Lex. Uh, and honestly, I think Warner Brothers will do anything in their power to make us forget about the idiotic version of him that appeared in the DCEU. <laughs> just, the, 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 the one played by an actor who's half-decent he was just terrible in the role of Lex Luthor in Superman v. Batman. It was horrible. And and I, it's almost like you cannot do Lex Luthor enough times. And times it was and a different take. But I liked him well enough. I was actually okay with him as Lex. He oh. wasn't, oh. He, he didn't like grab me by the soul saying, dude, that guy's Lex. Like uh, some of the, the other guys have, but I thought it was okay. The only way they will ever redeem that part of that movie for me is if they determined that that character was a clone of Lex Luthor and vis-a-vis uh, the old John Byrne era, uh, Lex had a clone for a while and not the real Lex Luthor. That's the only way I could redeem that. And just for completeness, the actor that you're talking about is Jesse Eisenberg, who also played um, like Mark Zuckerberg in The Social Network and and things like that. So, you know. He's a good actor. I like him and almost, that was, I was actually like looking forward to his take and then I saw his take yeah, and I'm no. like, I really wish they had told him no on that. <laughs> This is not our podcast on Batman v Superman, so I'm going to stop there so we can get back to Lois, Lois uh, Superman and Lois. Um, although uh, we are talking about doing a uh, another side quest episode on the Zack Snyder extended cut uh, eventually, so we'll see if maybe we decide to go ahead and do that or not. Uh, maybe we'll leave that up to the audience to go ahead and determine if they want us to try to crack that four-hour-long nut or not. Um, all right, so I talked about the two major plot points that that I uh, I felt kind of were really good and, and, and not so good. Glenn, what's a plot that you saw in the first episode that you really liked or didn't like? So there really wasn't a whole lot that I didn't like. I mean, we just covered the the many aspects of Lex. Um, so we don't even need to, without even hitting that again, but that was one of them. The, one of the few that I didn't particularly care for. One of the things that I really liked is I like the way that they've gone with this character of Lois Lane. I will say that in a lot of the previous uh castings and writings of Lois that they've always gone after that hard-nosed reporter end of it you know that that confident take no crap from anybody bulldog personality and it's not that this portrayal of Lois doesn't have that at all because she's got it when she needs it but I've just really dug how she's got a deeper more empathetic connection to Superman and helping him stay connected to his human side in the relationship that these two characters have been building since Supergirl. Um, I think that's been really neat to watch as opposed to just seeing Lois being the hard hitting reporter who has to be on the front lines to have her be the one that says, yeah, our family needs this. I 
absolutely agree with that, Glenn. And I'm glad you said that because it made me kind of crystallize some thoughts I had, nothing I had verbalized before. I thought Margot Kidder in the Christopher Reeve Superman was a watershed moment for the Superman Lois Lane relationship. It was easy to see how she was falling for this guy, how he fell for her, how they augmented and improved each other. And as much as I loved Lois and Clark from the 90s, it was always Clark is an amazing guy. And once he got Lois to stop being whatever, then they started working well together. Like they have this great friendship. And and I thought that was cool. What I really think this does better than any other iteration, the others, it once shows us the op, the other end, the maturing end. They've been together for 15, 16 years as partners in work, life, fighting crime, and all this. And you got to see a whole bunch of things that I don't think you see in every iteration. You got to see Clark's absolute admiration for his wife's skills as a reporter and and work. And as a mother, uh, you got to see her admiration for him as a person, as a human being, as a father, as a man. You got to see that those tender moments where they were counting and depending on each other. You got to see her be the bulldog for her husband uh, that we know she should be able to be, but we don't see it often in other depictions. And we got to see that in one episode. But you also got to see her in the same episode be the rock that he clung to when when all when everything was crumbling. And that that's that's what I was saying. Beautifully said to help me finish because I was having trouble finding the exact words I was looking for. But I loved that about not just this episode because it's it goes deeper with the relationship between these two. This writing of them as a couple, I think you're 100 percent right. It hasn't hasn't been close to being a good portrayal of their relationship since the Christopher Reeve era. Um, and I really liked seeing it. And I liked seeing them as the older mature couple with the kids who have, you can still see the younger people in there, but they've got that relationship and they have that solidarity. And I could feel it. I could relate to it. And yeah. it just kind of follows the arc of my life too early. Like you were saying uh, previously when we were talking about, you know, when we were younger and Smallville and hitting us as that post high school days. And then now the opportunity to see Superman as a dad, I can really connect with. Well, I can really connect with the concept of, being with a life partner too. And that's kind of the sense of their relationship I get from them. And it's really Absolutely. deep and they've established it really well in a short amount of time. And that's, that, yeah. that's my other great takeaway. And it's not a betrayal of that, which we've seen over three or four seasons with their guest appearances in Supergirl. No, it even started growing back then. Like they already had like something of that good relationship. Exactly. So we saw it there. We saw it building. We saw how it was going to be, what it could have been. And now we're seeing the results and the fruition. And it's not a betrayal of what we saw before, or it's not a change to what we saw. It is an enhancement, uh, an evolution of what we've seen before. And that is brilliance on the part of writers, because I don't believe the writers who are writing this wrote all or any of the previous episodes where these two characters were originally cast and acted. They may have looked at it and said, how do we evolve this? And went with that. Which is why um, you got to credit the actors, too, because a lot of times the actors bring the rest of that relationship together. And I absolutely. think brilliant chemistry between these two actors. Cannot say enough. 
And I'm going to say as, uh, again, as a non-comic book person and someone who uh, who has a soft and tender side, um, I loved the scenes of Superman and Lois Lane doing their, their courtship thing. You know, when when Superman finally reveals himself to Lois Lane and, and everything like that, like... The wedding scene oh, was so brilliant. So oh my good. god. So beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Like I want the guy who wrote that scene to do like a wedding for my kids or something. Yeah. yeah. Totally. It was like the home video version of backstory and it was yep. very yep. well done. Okay. So I am uh I'm gonna throw out one more topic for us to kind of discuss in the scope of this episode here. Uh and it is to, as we try to do in these side quest episodes, bring this non-tabletop RPG property to the table, right? Uh, and I'm going to go ahead and toss out a topic and, and see where it goes here. So here's here's where I want to go with this. With Superman, and we kind of alluded to this earlier, we have a an IP property that has a significant amount of existing lore and a significant amount of branches that have spawned off of that lore. I mean, you guys talked about the infinite universes and, and all that sort of stuff, right? There's, so there is so many different directions that the Superman story has gone in the, what, 70 years since the comic book first came out now, right? Oh, no, no, no. We're well over 70 years. Superman came out in 1937. Okay, so 1937. So that's, uh, that's uh, 84 years, okay? 80-something years. I'm going to draw a parallel between... Superman and the, and that grand scope of work that is Superman and the Forgotten Realms and say, how does one take a body of work that is so rich and so complete and so uh, uh, so full of varied and complex and sometimes contradictory plot lines and elements and everything like that, how does one sort through all of that to find the thread of a story like the one that we're watching here? Don't jump at once. Well, I figured you could actually lead. <laughs> well, so I, I think great I, think, I was drawing in. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'd be happy to because I have thoughts on this. I, I have, you know, folks, ladies and gentlemen, uh, friends of all ages, all of those within the sounds of this podcast, please understand that Josh will, of course, kick any conversation to himself. <laughs> so my thought on it is that when you're doing this and this is a monumental task and it is it is a task that uh, uh we've all had to do in any sort of homebrewing kind of kind of world right when it if anytime you're taking dungeons and dragons or any tabletop game and and homebrewing a world on top of existing lore the thing you've got to figure out is what are the elements that you're going to bring and what are the elements that you're going to Let's just say not emphasize, right? Um, and it's kind of like you know you've got to you've got to find the pieces that's that find the pieces that spark joy uh, in in that grand scheme of plot, and then use those as the signposts that you want to to build your your stuff off of. But that you've got to realize it's okay not to talk about everything. You don't have to do everything like Lewanika and uh, you know when we would run world of darkness games we ran into this problem all the time because again the world of darkness again in the you know 20 years ago had this really rich really really complicated really really contradictory scope of like i mean there were like 17 different plots that were all going at once and none of them made sense together and so especially when you're running like multi-genre games 
how does one run a vampire game and a werewolf game at the same time? Because they're not, they don't necessarily work well together. And then you throw Changeling on top of that. You throw other things on top of that. And it just starts to break down. And so I think really uh, it is it is the art of starting small and figuring out what are the couple of things that you want to emphasize while also making the conscious decision not to emphasize other things that get in the way of it. And finding that balance can be difficult. But I think that this show in particular did a really nice job of it. I think the answer to that question in in Forgotten Realms specifically, at least for me as a homebrew storyteller, is this. I very quickly determined what is my goal. Like, is my goal to run a campaign that goes to 20th level? Is it a goal to run to 15th, 10th, or 5th? Like, I actually decide where I want this story to end. Yep. From there, that answers the question of what I'm willing to show. Because if I'm ending at 20th level, I'm going to have to deal with guys like Elminster, Menzer Baranzen, uh, the the uh, Xanathar, uh, the Lords of Waterdeep, or, you know, or something like that. Grand Grand. It, you know, Grand Grand. It really does come down to scope. Yep. So if you're telling the grand scope, the big sweeping epic, then you have to decide where's it going to end. Not necessarily where's it going to start, but where's it going to end. And that informs where you're going to be. So it's like, if I'm going to end at this big level, that means I need a world shattering threat. Well, where is the world going to shatter? And then you pick that point and then you look for the lore that's around that point. And the heroes don't even have to start in that area. But your story, your campaign then becomes the journey from wherever they're starting to get to that point. And they better have the beats along the way to pick up the skills, techniques, allies, equipment, power to be able to be successful when they get to the end location. Right. So that is a specific style of campaign structure that I would use if I'm working in a realm like Forgotten Realm. I don't tend to do things like Forgotten Realms on the epic scope. If I'm going to do Forgotten Realms, I tend to do shorter style. It's going to go one through five, maybe one through 10, and it's very localized. It frees me up to be in other places. And I tend to stay away from the places where there's tons of lore because then it's way too many things that I have to take into account to be able to honor people's expectations. And I feel constrained. So I will do things in Susail or Cormier or the Dale lands, which have books, but not a ton of game product or not as much. And it'll be away from the sword coast. I don't tend to, when I'm running a game, operate in the sword coast. I will run an adventure is we have to get something from and return back to the sword coast because you're in forgotten realms. Everybody wants to see the sword coast. So it makes sense to do that, but I'm back. It, it's it, that's like part of the adventure, but it is not the scope of the campaign. That's how I deal with that. I'm really glad I didn't go first because I didn't fully exactly get where you were going, which is why I punted back to you. <laughs> but now I do and I love it. So, and I get exactly where you're going. You're looking at something that's just got so much baggage, good baggage, bad baggage, whatever. There's baggage, just a exactly. lot. And, you know, you want to tell a story in it. How do you, how do you figure out how to do it? So I think one of the things you got to do first is you got to, you got to acknowledge that we're right. 
the storyteller is a better term than dungeon master. And you got to acknowledge yourself as a storyteller first, because that's what you're doing. I mean, and as, as a storyteller, your job isn't just to tell the story you want to tell. You got a group of people you're telling it for and to, you got to work in what they want to. So there's a lot to pick and, and choose with. from. And with, right. So then you got to figure out first your feel. What, 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 do you, what kind of story do you want to tell? And it's so big. You're looking at something like the Forgotten Realms. You're like, man, especially if we're talking about going to 20th level, that's just trying to start planning a world epics plot that sweeps across the globe from level zero when your characters are starting out when there's so much lore already built into a world like the forgotten realms you're gonna get stuck in analysis paralysis for 10 years before you ever even get your first adventure off the ground just trying to connect all your dots so you gotta pick the piece you want to work with in this instance since we're talking about superman and lois they wanted to talk about the human side of the man of steel and his family how do I tell that? Where do I need to set it? Because at this point, Superman's a fully established hero and the world is his stage, but that's too big of a stage for high school kids. So we need to narrow it down. Okay, how do we do that? Let's get him back to Smallville because now we've got a smaller stage to tell the smaller story. Um, so basically, you got to figure out what you want to tell first and then figure out where it's going to fit best in the world of the Forgotten Realms. You know, If you want to run a piratey kind of campaign, it doesn't have to stop there. Pick an area along the Sword Coast that's got some cool stuff. Start out with some awesome piratey flavor. Run Ghosts of Saltmarsh set. Uh, it even uh, There's even spots that you can look up online that they've created full-color maps of the Sword Coast and placed the town of Saltmarsh for you in the Forgotten Realms ready to go. So you could use stuff out of there. There's great nautical information. Even though that was originally in Greyhawk. Indeed, but they did a great job of helping it reset. We were talking about Forgotten Realms, so I ran with that. Uh, but I didn't actually know that it was originally set in Greyhawk. So kudos to Lee. I do love you. Nice to um, <laughs> credit where credit is due, my friend. But set it up there. And if your group is jiving and your game is vibing, run some mystery background plot points that you haven't fleshed out yet. So that when you finish first tier, second, and get towards the end of second tier, and you go on, is this group going to carry on? And now we need to come up with an adventure that covers the whole Sword Coast. So make sure you've held a couple of loose, vague plot lines off to the side that you can use to tie them in, and you advance. But the only way you can start that story is by narrowing your scope and figuring out what you want to tell, and then figuring out where to put it in the world so you can tell it best. Excellent job with that answer and fine-tuning um, that process, like the actual process of how to do that. I had more wide-ranging ideas you had a great fine-tune giving people the nuts and bolts of step one step two step three so that was a, an excellent way to kind of fo follow up what i had said and make that so much better and much more cohesive much much appreciated i sound like much less of a dork now um, <laughs> you never sounded like a dork my friend i was agreeing with you and putting my my overlay on top and that's how that's how we work. That's yeah, how our that's team what we works. do here. And, and interestingly enough, uh, Glenn's response also sparked something in me in thinking about Superman and Lois and tabletop games. It reminded me of many superhero games I've set within various universes, whether it be the Marvel Universe or the DC Universe. Now, I am much more of a DC guy than a Marvel guy. So whenever I've decided to set a superhero game, I've always done it in the DC Universe. And I've always said, if you do things on the scope of the Justice League, it is less of a personal story. 
So kind of like what I was saying and what Glenn was expanding on is you have to decide, are you telling a personal story or are you telling an epic story? And some personal stories can become epic, but they're not epic stories, right? Like it's epic because of how much you connect with it versus epic because of what it covers. But when and, you can create that personal story for a party that grows into an epic campaign, that's... Yes, absolutely. And then you get much more engagement. So for me, I look at a show like this as being that. You could be that hero. Superman of the 90s was very much like this, uh, for 86 through the 90s, where Metropolis had lots of different heroes that operated out of Metropolis. Some of them have shows on the CW now. Black Lightning operated out of Metropolis. And he opposite uh, his area, which the version of what they call Freeland in the comics of the 90s was actually what was known as suicide slums. And Black Lightning was a principal of Garfield High School or whatever the name of the high school was in that area. So he told those street level stories. The MCU has done this with the Defenders, uh, Jessica Jones, Daredevil, uh, Luke Cage and Iron Fist, where they told street level stories. So my answer to how do you take all of this lore and have a game that resonates with players is I tell the street level story. Now, me personally, as I've said before, I like lower level or lower magic worlds campaigns. But even if I'm playing in a high magic area, I will still tell that street level story and I will limit the access to some of those other things just by tone. It's we're going to play a group of uh, a street gang. And so if somebody really wants to play a caster, they're going to be uh, an Eldritch Knight or a Arcane Trickster. So they'll have the magic, but by virtue of what that class is, that magic is muted. They don't have those higher level spells. You don't get a ninth level wish spell playing an Arcane Trickster unless you like steal it from somebody at level 17, you know? So for me, it's picking the right type of characters to match the tone for the type of story you're telling. And that's what I would do. I would set the street level campaign and you could set a street level campaign in Waterdeep, being the most populous, all the grand things in the world, but just play the types of characters who aren't getting picked for the dragon heist, pick the characters who are keeping the streets clean or, protecting the, the local sisterhood from some of Xanathar's ruffians or something like that. Glenn, you and I, years ago, we played a bunch of, a bunch of characters who our job, we, we basically were security personnel where we just were hired to like be bodyguards or protectors of various places. We were a little on the sketch side. So sometimes it was, you're buying our protection, right? It was one of those things where we did a, even at, and I think we were like five or six level, maybe seventh level at one point when we were done with that. Well, Waterdeep's like a microclimate anyway, just looking at uh, at the overall system of the Forgotten Realms. There's so much lore there. You could do the same thing and you'd have to parse it down. I mean, you could run an entire story on Waterdeep from first level through 20th if you tried. Absolutely. And so I, I think what you do in the tabletop setting is you take lore like Superman and you say, what am I going to do to make this work? I'm going to play somebody who is a hero, but I'm a street level hero. And I also work at the daily planet, or maybe I'm the bus boy at Bibbo's, which is where Superman gets his sandwiches when he's down in the dock areas of Metropolis. That's cool. Or I'm going to play the disgruntled uh, office worker who got some great powers 
because uh but because my company got bought out and I tried to get the last of my stuff and got dumped in a vat of whatever or, or whatever and let's Luther's let's core bought me out or I play the guy whose family got hurt by a bunch of mobsters and that was Morgan edge and and his people you know there's so many different ways to have street level campaigns that that intersect uh with the big grandiose hero so you can have your street level game watching superman fly over overhead right and you Excellent. mentioned morgan edge i forgot about him there was a second superman villain in there i think that we are pretty much at time for this episode today let's go around for some for some final thoughts so i'm gonna start uh since uh glenn made me start first last time too well that means it's not your turn anymore well i'm gonna take i'm gonna take my turn anyway okay don't hurt I'm me yeah so as a non-comic book guy Watching uh, the two-hour premiere of this show, I'm in. I'm absolutely in. I I love the way that the uh, the story was being told. I loved the uh, the cinematography and the acting and everything. Just really, I thought worked really really well together. Um, and I am interested to see where it goes. But that's also kind of the extent of my thoughts right now. Um, as kind of a non-comic book guy, I mean, I I am familiar with the concept of Superman, but not the details of who Superman is and all that sort of stuff. So. And I'm the mid-level comic book guy because I read a lot of comics when I was younger, but nowhere near as many as Lee. Uh, and I was a Superman fan, but Superman wasn't my main guy. My main guy was Batman. Uh, we used to have lots of discussions about that. Um, so I don't have as much knowledge or or lore about the Superman universe as Lee, like even close, like drop in the bucket. Um, but I know enough uh, to catch the pieces of they're putting in but also to realize that they're kind of branching into new territory which is also really exciting and cool and that's i'm really looking forward to it because uh, we've never told the story of superman before as a, a father of older kids dealing with the problems that teens have to deal with while still trying to save the world and that's what i'm most excited about is seeing how they do that and that they were able to keep you hooked as a non-comic book person says that with all the stuff they crammed in there they still did it good enough to keep you involved it must have definitely done a good job because I was in too. Well, I wanted to make sure not to sound like a total moron on this episode, so I wanted to figure at least watch. The, no, no, I'm joking. Seriously, I, I really did enjoy. Uh, I really did enjoy the show. Here's my thought about this show, and I come into it with a great deal of bias, as previously stated. I, like Glenn, am very happy to hear that a non-comic book fan truly enjoyed this show. One of uh, recently a great, great comic book show has been on we their last episode airs next week we're going to be talking about it in great detail wandavision and it was frustrating and hard for me as a fan who recognized how awesome this show was and was going to be to see non-comic book fans and casual comic book fans get very frustrated with the first three episodes yep because a lot of them hung in there thanks to the insistence on us fans saying, hang in there. You don't know how cool this is going to be just yet, but it's going to get there. And that's a hard, hard river to row uh, for a lot of people. And it's easier on a streaming channel than it is on a network channel. So Superman and Lois, and especially after the failings of the DCEU on film, do not have the ability to row that river. They don't. They had to hit it out of the park with the first episode. And I am so glad they did. Um, 
I am not saying that this is better than WandaVision. We haven't seen enough episodes to say that yet. And I love WandaVision. And specifically, Wanda is one of my favorite MCU characters, who until recently has not gotten the love in film that I think the character deserves. And because of that is why I remain a DC fan overall and history and all that. But with this show, I love the fact that off the rip, non-comic book folks, casual comic book folks, and deep comic book fans all are saying the same things. This was a great show. This was fun. This has me intrigued. I'm coming back next week to see more. That says so many good things about the future of this show. And I can't say enough more about that, how good that is. I will say one last piece, just a, and that's this. And I didn't get it squeezed in earlier, so forgive me. They, I like the backstory. They've got the big, mis- the, the big bad guy plot going on with um, uh, Captain Luther, but I love the little backstory plot going on with the bank in Smallville and what's right by the people in Smallville. I thought that was very well done how they wove that into the story. And it may seem like a throwaway. I expect that to be a huge thing in this show. I expect it to be the uh, the actual undercurrent of this show. And it takes me back to something that I thought was really amazing is uh, Superman's roots as a character. He was originally a character of the 30s in the Depression, and he was originally a social justice type of hero. He beat landlords that were evicting people. He took out bosses that didn't pay their employees enough. He fought for the little guy in little things. It wasn't beating aliens and big monsters. It was making sure people who couldn't defend themselves from the system were defended. And I love the fact that the one spearheading that charge in this show is Lois. All right. Well said. Yeah. So I am sure that we will do a season breakdown uh, when season one finally concludes and we'll see kind of uh, what our, how our expectations shape up and how uh, some of our theories uh, shape up. Uh, Otherwise, thank you everybody for listening and we'll talk to you again next week. Up, up and away. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. You can join us at www.ttjourneys.com where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. And make sure you join our growing online community. You can follow us on Twitter at ttjourneys And join us on Facebook just by searching Tabletop Journeys there. You can also reach us by email at podcast at ttjourneys.com. And if you want to catch early access to our episodes and some of the other benefits we have coming down the pipeline, you can also support our production at patreon.com slash ttjourneys. If you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, Audible, or any other podcast platform, we would really appreciate if you would like and subscribe to the podcast episodes come out every week on Saturdays and every Wednesdays will feature our side quest series where we talk about pretty much anything tabletop oriented. Thank you all so much for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler on our path, we bid you shade and sweet water.